Stay inspired on the go with Springboard Zone, an inspirational podcast from internationally acclaimed executive coaches, authors and ministers, Albert and Comfort Okran. You will be inspired and challenged with strategies to consistently reach for new heights. And now, today's message by Reverend Albert Okran. I'm continuing my series on way makers, way makers. And I would like to share part three of the series on Waymakers. And the title is Waymakers and Small Beginnings. Waymakers and Small Beginnings. In part one of the series, we looked at Waymakers and Giant Killers, defined who a Waymaker is, and establish the fact that God has called each of us as a waymaker with a twofold mandate. First, to make a way or create a legacy and to pass on that legacy to generations after us. Every one of us is created in the image of God and our God does big things. And so you are wired to do big things. Tell somebody big things. How many of you have had God give you a word, a word of prophecy, something that God said, spoke to you directly, and just teared up your faith that something big would happen in your life? How many of us? I'm sure everybody. Wow. And so everyone has a prophetic word you received at some time, a word from God, something that assured you stirred up your faith. Naturally, when you hear a word from God, you expect everything to happen immediately. The challenge sometimes is that when God says what he will do, God speaks the end. He speaks the destination, but there is a process. Tell somebody process. And everything that God does, it starts small and then it grows. So I want to encourage somebody that your small beginnings should not discourage you. Don't despair because you are holding something small in your hands. The greatness of your life is not defined by the size of what is in your hand today. Hallelujah. Somebody here is a perfect candidate for promotion to the next level. Our foundational scripture, there are two of them. The first one is Job chapter 8 verse 7. Job chapter 8 verse 7. A scripture that I treasure very much because God gave it to me at a significant point in my life. And it simply says, Though your beginning was small, yet your latter end would increase abundantly. Though your beginning was small, yet your latter end will increase abundantly. In this verse of scripture, the Bible contrasts two periods in time. A beginning and an ending. It also contrasts the magnitude or the resources at both stages in time. Now, the beginning is 
characterized by smallness. Bible says, though your beginning be small. That means that the beginning stage often is characterized by smallness, inadequacy of resources, lack of opportunity. Yet, the latter end is characterized by abundant increase. How does it work? How does a person transition from small beginnings to abundant increase? Who wants to know how to transition? Who wants to know how to move from that place where you know there is something over your life that is big, but today what's in your hand is small and you want to get to that place of abundance? Jesus provides a clear guide to this process in the book of Mark. Let's go to Mark chapter 4 for our second foundational scripture. Mark 4 verse 31 and verse 32. Waymakers and small beginnings. Mark 4 31 says, It is like a mustard seed, which when it was sown on the ground, is smaller than all the seeds on the earth. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all herbs and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. May the Lord bless his word. The mustard seed is described as a seed that is smaller than all seeds. And yet when it is planted and it grows, it becomes greater than all herbs. Four clear lessons stand out from our two foundational scriptures. The first one is that our God is a God of small beginnings. At the seed stage, the master seed starts behind others, smaller than other seeds. I want to speak to somebody that you started out in your journey in life and you look at others way ahead of you and you say, wow, I am far behind. The Bible says that the master seed, it starts smaller than other seeds. But when it is planted and it grows, it becomes greater. Your beginning is not your ending. I said your beginning is not your ending. Jesus taught us that our size, our reach, our resources, our influence, our opportunity at the beginning stages of our dream do not matter. It may be small, it may look insignificant, but it will grow. The good news is that the God of the seed is also the God of the harvest. Hallelujah. Don't look down on your seed because it is small. Don't despise your gift because it looks so small today. That same gift will open doors for you and bring you before great men. Amen. In the book of Zechariah, chapter 4, verse 9 and verse 10, the Bible speaks to us about not despising the little that we find in our hands. Zechariah, chapter 4, verse 9 and verse 10, it says, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands also shall finish it then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. 
For who has despised the day of small things? For these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. They are the eyes of the Lord which scan to and fro throughout the whole earth. I like the part that says, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation. His hands also shall finish it. Look at your hands and see my hands will start and my hands will finish. One more time, my hands will start and my hands will finish. I want you to say this like a prayer, say it like a declaration, say it like a statement that you believe, say it like a statement of faith. If you are building a house, your hand will start, your hand will finish. If you are working on a project in your ministry, your hand will start, your hand will finish. If you are pursuing a dream that God laid on your heart, your hand will start and your hand will finish. If there is something that you have dreamt about for years and trusted God for the grace to do it, I said your hand will start and your hand will finish. One more time, look into your palm. Say, my hands will start and my hands will finish. Increase the acceleration. Say, my hands will start and my hands will finish. One more time, my hands will start and my hands will finish. One more time, my hands will start and my hands will finish. Hallelujah. The grace upon your life is great, but the beginning is small. God will bless your hands to lay the foundation and also bless your hands to finish the assignment he has laid upon your heart. Somebody here may be dreaming about going global, but learn to appreciate your local level today. Tell somebody, treasure your small beginnings. The second lesson we learn is to sow the seed. The seed has greatness in it, but until you sow it, it abides alone. The seed may be the seed of your greatness, but until it is sown, its potential will never be realized. Bible says in the book of Mark that we read, that the mustard seed must be sown in the ground. In verse 32, Bible makes understand that when it is sown, it grows up. When? That means that until and unless it is sown, the seed cannot grow. That grace upon your life, that talent, that call upon your life to go into the ministry, whatever it is you are trusting God to do in this year of leadership, if you don't plant the seed, if you don't step out and do it, it will not grow. And so the question for all of us, what is that small seed you are carrying in your hands that has the potential for greatness, but which you are not sowing? What is that thing that you know God has laid upon your heart? And I know I'm speaking to somebody, something that God has been dealing with you about, and you know that you know that you know that that thing is a seed he has placed inside you that will be a turning point in your life. But somehow, some way, procrastination, fear, uncertainty, anxiety, discouragement is preventing you from planting that seed. Go out there and plant your seed. 
Believe me, friends, that until and unless that seed is planted, greatness may be knocking at your door. But it will remain unresolved or unrealized potential. Plant the seed. Where is the ground? What is the seed? And where is the ground? Find the seed, plant the seed, and plant it in the right place. Hallelujah. The third thing sounds a bit scary, but it's very important for us to appreciate. And that is the fact that your seed will first die. It is that part of the equation or the process that we do not know and therefore sometimes wonder whether God is with us. I am convinced that many of us are at that place in our journey where the seed has been planted, but somehow the seed seems dead. And when you come to that place, you wonder whether you went or you came. Because you think you have started a journey, but somehow you are stuck. In the book of John 12, 24, Jesus said, most assuredly, that means without a doubt, I say unto you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Now, the scripture gives the impression that the process of growth involves death and resurrection. The death of your seed is the turning point. Now, how many of you have seen the correct sign? The correct sign. Now, the correct sign has a special characteristic about it. First, it goes down and then hits a turning point and then starts going up and all the way up. That is exactly how the life of a seed is. It is like laying the foundation of a building. You go down first and you are like, I'm going in the wrong direction. Until you hit a certain point and the base is laid and then the building starts rising. May I encourage somebody that the fact that your seed seems to be going down does not mean that is the end of your life. For a small moment have I forsaken you, but with great mercies will I gather you. The seed may seem to be inclined downwards for a while, but there is a turning point. The seed may die for a while, but the reign of God's presence and the reign of God's glory and the grace of Jehovah shall reign upon your seed and at the appointed time it will turn and start to climb and climb all the way from strength to strength and from glory to glory i came to announce to somebody going through that seeming wilderness period where everybody seems to have forsaken you and where your dream does not make sense and it looks like you are trying to gather and you are just not finding the strength or the resources to push forward It's just for a moment. It's just a wilderness season. But you will come out and your seed will climb. And your seed will sprout. And your dream will become a reality. Somebody be encouraged. It is only for a moment. Somebody be encouraged. It is only for a season. Somebody be encouraged. It's a process. Your seed will die. But it will resurrect. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. 
your seed will go through a point where it looks like nothing is working for you. Abraham went through that stage. God had spoken a word and for years he wondered, will this seed grow? Jacob went through that phase. He knew he had the inheritance, but he had to wait. Joseph went through that. There was a promise of greatness upon his life. He had seen the dream, confirmed by another dream, 13 years, wondering what will happen to the seed. David had the same promise upon his life. Every single way maker goes through a process where your seed seems to die. But the good news is that it shall resurrect. Hallelujah. The fourth thing we learn from our foundational scripture is that your seed will eventually make a way for you. It will eventually make a way for you. In the book of Job, Bible says your latter end will increase abundantly. It means that the small beginning is not your end. Eventually, there will be abundant increase. When you go to the book of John, it says, unless a corn of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it abides alone. But when it dies, it brings forth much fruit. And so Job calls it increase abundantly. John calls it much fruit. But I like the description in Mark that we read, Mark 4, 32. It says, even though the seed is the smallest, when it grows, it becomes greater than all the other herbs. That means that there is a principle of acceleration, divine acceleration that brings somebody from the back of the queue. I don't know if you have watched a long distance race before. Very often, the person who will win the race will never hit the front. I don't know why they do that. They give us heartache. You are supporting them and they are standing in some fit position and creating frustration for you because there is somebody running ahead and the champion would always relax in seventh position, fifth position, and they take it easy. Then they ring their bell and they say, last round. And you say, when? But you know, the beautiful thing about the dealings of God is the timing, the timing. You may start from the back, but the timing of God is beautiful because when they start that last round and they ring the bell, suddenly the champion begins to increase the pace. Then from fifth position, they move to fourth, and then they move to second, and by the time they turn the first hundred, they are around the, the, the second position, just relaxing around the shoulder of the first person. After the first 200, suddenly, with a burst of acceleration, they just go past that first person and then hit the front. And from then on, they just begin to open the gap. Initially, they look like they were disadvantaged behind other people. But at their appointed time, they just overtake and hit the front. May I speak into somebody's life this, this evening? May I just encourage somebody? Your beginning may be small. It may look like others are way ahead of you. Don't bother about them. Bother about the dream that God placed on your heart. Bother about the grace of God that is upon your life. Because at the appointed time, the little mustard seed, when planted, shall grow and become greater than all the other herbs. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, somebody's seed will sprout. Somebody's seed will reach out. Hallelujah. You know the part I love? 
Bible says it shoots out large branches. Not only will it be big, but it shoots out large branches and spreads them all over the place. And suddenly, birds begin to build their nest in the branches. A way maker makes a way first and then creates space for other people. I can imagine that men begin to find shelter under the branches. May God extend your branches and create space for other people. May the seed that God has put upon your heart open doors and create space for other people to find their dream. Your dream is bigger than yourself. Your dream is bigger than your family. Your dream is bigger than your community. Your dream is bigger than your nation. Something that God will do in your life will stretch out and nourish many. If you believe that that's you, say, that's me. Hallelujah. God will extend somebody beyond your wildest dreams. As you submit to God and to his word, and trust in the authority and the authenticity of God's word, the little in your hand will be great. Little becomes big when God is in it. It doesn't matter how small it looks. When the blessing of God comes on it, that little seed in your hands will become big. Hallelujah. We want to appreciate the fact that every single waymaker starts small but becomes big. God will increase that which is small in your hands today and it will confound nations. We want to take time and look at one person in the Bible, one way maker in the scriptures who had very small beginnings and went on to become a great achiever and use that to remind ourselves that our beginning is not our ending. Let's go to the book of Judges, chapter 6 and chapter 7, and meet Gideon, the waymaker, with small beginnings, who became a great judge of Israel and a deliverer. Gideon's small beginnings. Judges, chapter 6. Now, for a bit of background, Israel had sinned against God and followed idols in contravention of God's instructions and God was very displeased with Israel and allowed the Midianites to totally dominate Israel for a period. During that time the custom was that whenever you planted anything just at the harvest time the Midianites would come and just harvest whatever you have planted and take it away. And so if you wanted to eat you had to hide the food in order to eat. And it was in that season that Gideon Emerged. Let's read from verse 11 of Judges chapter 6. From verse 11 to verse 16. Judges chapter 6 verse 11 to verse 16. It says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the turban tree, which is in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. Verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, Oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about? Saying, 
did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Verse 14. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, O my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Thus say the word of the Lord. Amen. Interesting lessons from the life of the man called Gideon. First one is very clear. The lesson that springs up first is that in the season of small beginnings, it is often a time of limitation and fear. When you are operating in that place of small beginnings, you often are afraid. You often feel a sense of limitation. How will I feed myself? How will I look after my family? How will I build this business? How will I pursue this calling? How? Those questions create fear and a sense of limitation. Now, the Bible says that Gideon was threshing wheat in the wine press. Now, that is a reflection of the life of defeat that he was living or Israel was living. Wheat was supposed to be threshed on the hilltop. Now, the fruit or, or the wheat came with chaff. And so when they thresh wheat, what they do is that they beat up the wheat and then they throw it up in the air. And as the wind blows, the chaff is taken away and then the wheat is left. It is something you must do on the hilltop in a windy place, just throwing it up. But if you went to the hilltop, the Midianites will see you throwing up the wheat and come and collect all. And so he was actually threshing the wheat in a wine press, an isolated, secluded place where grapes are pressed and fermented into wine. And that is where he was threshing wheat. It shows you the consequence of living in sin. When we live in sin, we operate way below our potential. When we abandon the ways of God and pursue unrighteousness, we are forced to live way below where God will have us be. The Bible says the prodigal son came to himself and said, Why am I looking at the food of pigs and desiring it? Sin will drag you down from your destiny. Sin will pull you away from where God wants to take you and Every one of us who desires to be a way maker must commit yourself to walk with God and separate yourself from a life of sin. Hallelujah. Bible says he was threshing wheat in a wine press. The second thing we see is how God sees us. The beautiful thing about God is that the angel appears to Gideon and the angel is a type of Christ. And he doesn't say, you see the consequence of your sin. You see how you are struggling and suffering. He says, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And that is the word of God to somebody. The Lord is with you, you mighty man. 
the Lord is with you, you mighty woman. You may be afraid, you may be struggling, but God is with you and he says you are mighty. He said the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. It almost seems like a contradiction between how God sees us and our reality. God sees us based on our potential, based on where he's taking us, based on the harvest. We often see ourselves based on our current reality. So God says, you are blessed, like telling Mary, the Lord is with you. How can these things be? What are you talking about? God sees us based on where he's taking us. God is seeing you based on your future. God is seeing you based on the coming harvest. The third thing we see was an objection. And it was natural. It's almost like you are broke. And then somebody sees you and says, Milone. You say, hold on a minute. First, first thing is you will look back to see whether there was somebody else coming behind you that the person was calling. And so Gideon reacted like, wait a minute, you, you must have chosen a totally wrong person. Because in the first place, my tribe is small. And inside my tribe too, my clan is small in the tribe. And even inside my clan or my father's house, me too, I am the smallest there. Sometimes when God talks about what he wants to do with our lives, we look at ourselves and say, me, I don't matter. I have nothing. I don't know anyone. The first objection is to look at the limitations in our lives. When God called Moses, he said, I can't even speak. He called Jeremiah, he says, I'm too young and I can't speak. He called Sarah and said, you will have a child. He says, oh, I'm too old to have a child. Jeremiah says, I'm too young. Sarah says, I'm too old. He called Saul and Saul said, me, the whole of Benjamin, my father's house is the lowest. And inside my father's house too, I am the lowest. Just like Gideon. The objections we raise are because we look at our present situation. But the good news I came with for somebody tonight is that God is not looking at your current situation. God is not looking at your struggles. God is looking at your end. He knows the end from the beginning. Somebody be encouraged that the, the picture that God has about your life is greater than the picture that you see today. What is God saying about you today? And what is your response? If God says you are great, what is your response? If God says you are blessed, what is your response? If God says you are a mighty woman, what is your response? Will you believe the report of the Lord? Will you believe that the word of God concerning your life is true? Gideon objected. He said, wrong number. But God assured him. He gave him a divine assurance. He said, have I not called you? Go in this your might. God is assuring somebody that go in this your might. You may see your fear, but I see courage. 
You may see your limitation, but I see abundance. Whatever you see about yourself, you don't like, I see the opposite because I'm the God who takes the foolish things of this world and turns them around to confound the wise. The more you look at yourself and say, I can't do it, the more God knows that he will do it so that the glory will not go unto any man but unto Jehovah God. God is announcing to somebody that he will take your life with all your limitations, with all that people say is not beautiful and turn it around. I can see God turning something around for somebody's good, making something beautiful, making something perfect, making something glorious. God will perfect, perfect, beautify, glorify somebody in this place. If you believe that's you, lift up your voice, say, that's me. Beautiful, beautiful. Something about you will confound many because nobody from your community, nobody from your home, nobody from your village, nobody from your background has done it before. It will not be the doing of man. Something that God will do will be so awesome, so beautiful that even you yourself cannot take the glory. Hallelujah. God is in the business of beautifying his people. God assured him and said, I will do it. The chain of incidents that followed were significant. The first thing he said is, go and destroy the altars. Go and destroy the altars of Baal and raise up an altar unto Jehovah. Why is that important? If you know that God wants to do something great in your life, but at this point in your life, you are living in sin and struggling with things that God said. Abandon them and walk away from them. God is telling you that you were a mighty man and a mighty woman of valor. Believe what God says about your life. And after believing it, the first thing God says is go and cut down those altars. Destroy those altars. Somebody must step out today and say enough is enough. Of living that life that does not please God. Somebody must be bold and say, Father, I lift up my two hands and I surrender this life that doesn't glorify you because I want you to use me for your glory. How many want to say, Father, I give up that life that does not honor you. I give up that life that does not glorify you. I openly and honestly surrender and I say, Holy Spirit, help me to walk away from sin. Help me to walk away from unrighteousness. Help me to give up every habit that does not glorify Christ. No altar, no barrier, no impediment must stand in the way of that which God wants to do with my life. If you believe it, just lift up your hands to God and say, Father, help me. Say, Holy Spirit, help me. Say, Spirit of God, help me. Say, Father, I surrender. I surrender my life to you. I surrender my thoughts to you. I surrender my heart to you. I want to live for you. I want to honor you. Let my life glorify you. In Jesus' name. Bless the name of the Lord, somebody. Destroy every altar. Throw down those altars. And erect an altar in your home, an altar of worship, an altar of devotion. Tell yourself every day, I will wake up an hour earlier and I will come before the Lord in prayer and open up the scriptures and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to me. Raise up an altar in your home. Raise up an altar in your family. Start a family devotion. Create a place where God can reach you in Jesus' name. Throw down those altars and raise an altar. 
unto Jehovah. Gideon was given a new name, Jerubal, which means idols are nothing. Hallelujah. Throw down those altars. Somebody must destroy some altars. The sixth thing we see in Gideon's life is the selecting of his team. Now, this is very important because the big thing that God will do with your life will be so big, you can't do it alone. The thing that God will do, the vision God has given you, the dream God has placed on your heart, you cannot do it alone. And so, you will need people, and this particular point shows us how to find the people to stand around you as you build your vision. Bible says that the Midianites came out against Israel with a huge army of 135,000 soldiers. Bible says they spread out like locusts and like sand on the seashore. Now, conventional wisdom meant that if somebody came against you with 135,000 soldiers, how many will you also bring? at least match the numbers. Is that not it? Tell somebody, match the numbers. If somebody came against you with 135,000 soldiers, you must at least find 100,000 or something. So, the Midianites came against Israel with 135,000 soldiers. Gideon blew the trumpet and managed to raise 32,000. That's about a quarter of the number. I'm sure he will say, if we work hard, we will make it. And then he came to God and God said, there are too many. I mean, at this point, you are scratching your head. The enemy has 135,000. You have 32,000. Just imagine in business, imagine in ministry, imagine in your life, the dream you are pursuing. Somebody has far more than you and the little you have, God says, is too much. Sometimes in the dealings of God with us, the things that God says, they don't make sense. But that is what we call the sovereignty of God. You see, if God were a man, we can argue and calculate things and we can predict him. But the beauty about this is that God is not a man. He said, there are too many. So go and call them and say, if anyone is afraid, if anyone is going to war and you genuinely are afraid, please go home. And surprisingly, the test of courage, 22,000 went home that day. (laughs) Now, it means that from 32,000 against 135,000, now you have 10,000 against 135,000. And you are like, these guys have to really fight to survive or will die. Then God came again and said, you know what? Even this number is too much. At that point, you want to tell God, you know what? If you want me to lose, you tell me. (laughs) So God says, even 10,000 is too much. At this point, take them through a test of readiness, a test of alertness, a test of diligence. Take them to the water. Let them drink. Those who drink as if consumption is all that there is to life, and don't lift up their head, let them go home. It is only those who 
as they are consuming, they are watching. They are the ones who are reading. There is a principle in life that when you are pursuing a dream, you cannot be caught up in consumption. You get food and you are eating it as if that is all that there is to it. There must be a certain alertness for opportunity. A certain appreciation of the fact that you are a person on a mission. And so anything that will distract you, you, you stay focused and don't get caught up in it. And so Bible says that that test of alertness dropped the number to 300. Now, if you are a mathematician, that is less than 1%. It is actually 0.2%. 300 versus 135,000. How shall these things be? In the pursuit of your dream, everyone will get to that point where God has told you something. You look at it and you say, how will this happen? It doesn't make sense. If you tell people, they will laugh. And you are wondering, how do I piece this one together? It is God who spoke. You believe it, but at the same time, you are afraid. 300 versus 135,000. Now, at that point, God did something that, for me, is one of the most beautiful parts of the story. And somebody will be encouraged by what God did. God provided divine intelligence. Now, in, in, in warfare, when they say intelligence, it means that you reveal the secrets of the opponent or the secrets of the enemy. And so God said to Gideon, if you don't believe me that 300 can win this war tonight, come. And let's read what God did in dealing with the fears and anxiety of Gideon. Let's go to our last scripture for the day, verse 12 to 15 of Judges chapter 7. Judges 7, verse 12 to verse 15. Very interesting portion of scripture. Bible says that now the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts and their camels were without number as the sand by the seashore in multitude. And when Gideon had come, that means Gideon came to the edge of the camp of the Midianites, as God has instructed him. And when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion, one of the Midianites. And he said, I have had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian, and it came to a tent and struck it so that it fell down and overturned. And the tent collapsed. Verse 14. Then his companion answered and said, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. Verse 15. And so it was. When Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, that he worshipped. Then he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. May the Lord bless his word. The same enemy you are afraid of, the same barrier you think is so great, 
God opened the ears of Gideon to hear the conversation the Midianites were having. And even the choice of Bali as what rolled and hit the camp was significant. He didn't even say wheat. Wheat was more senior in terms of the grains that was consumed by human beings. Bali was consumed by animals. The lowest of the grains. And yet, Bible says that is what tumbled into the camp of the Midianites and destroyed them. What was God saying? That somebody that you see as being insignificant, somebody that you see as having small beginnings, somebody that you see and you say, this person, his father's house is not even nice. And inside his father's house, he is the least. Bible says that the, the barley tumbled into the Midianite camp and the tent collapsed. And the Midianite was telling his friend or his brother, this is Gideon. God has already given us into his hands. I came from God to announce to somebody, the thing that is pursuing you, you will pursue it. The thing that is carrying you will run away from you. The thing that you have looked at and said, it is too big. 135,000. Bible says they pursued them. And on the first day alone, they slaughtered over 100,000. About 125,000 were slaughtered in one day by 300 men. May God embolden somebody. May God empower somebody. May God strengthen somebody to confront that which you fear and destroy it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The final point, Bible says, when God showed the picture to Gideon, Gideon must have assumed that, okay, so now it's battle time. Pick up your swords, pick up your spears. God says, no, even the weapons, I will define them. Put aside your conventional weapons. By strength shall no man prevail. This one, it is not by might, it is not by power, it is by my spirit. So take light and trumpet. Hold on. 135,000 armed with their camels, their swords, their spears. 300 armed with light and trumpet. I'm sure you have your own description. Bible says they surrounded them at night, not with swords and not with spears, but with light and with trumpet. What did it mean? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Gideon was holding God's word. Not a sword, not a spear, but the spoken word of God. Holding on to the word. Looking at 135,000 and saying, if God says I can do it, I can do it. The Lord is the strength of my life. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light for my path. Somebody hold fast unto the word of God. Somebody hold fast unto what God has said and that dream will become a reality. The second thing Gideon was holding was a trumpet. A trumpet is a sound of praise. It is an announcement of the greatness of our God. And so Gideon was holding the word of God and was holding his praise. And Bible says they just surrounded the Midianite camp. And at the appointed time, he just raised the light and blew the trumpet. He just lifted up the word and then blew the trumpet of worship. And as he did that one, 
the Midianites began to fight themselves and Israel won a great victory. Somebody's about to walk into a great victory. Somebody's about to lift up God's word and see a great victory in your life. Somebody's about to say, my beginning is small, but by the enablement of God's word and by the power of the Holy Spirit, I will pursue my pursuers. They may be many, but they will fall before me. I came to announce to somebody that the Lord is your light. The Lord is your strength. The Lord is the strength of your life. Don't be afraid of any limitation. Don't be afraid of the fact that your resources are small. Though your beginning be small, your latter end will greatly increase. May God increase somebody. May God lift somebody up. And may God beautify somebody with his salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Springboard Zone, an inspirational podcast by Albert and Comfort Okran. Like our Facebook and Twitter pages at Albert and E. Okran and Comfort Okran A for free resources and information about our itinerary, conferences and media broadcast. For speaking appointments, email albert.okran at icloud.com or SMS or WhatsApp us on plus 233-2499-9900. You may also subscribe to www.albertokran.com, amazon.com or your favorite online bookstore for copies of our inspirational books and audiovisual materials. Until we come your way again, always remember, you are blessed indeed. No